Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek with Figured Out Baseball. Got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. I'm excited to talk with Aaron Swick today. He's the head coach at Willamette University, an NCAA Division III program in Salem, Oregon. Uh, before we get into questions with Coach Swick, I'll go through his bio so you know a little bit of, more about him, where he's come from, and, and things that he's done. Um, it's kind of a pretty cool background to me. He's a Westminster, California native. He played collegiately at Saddleback College, a junior college in California. He was there in the springs of 2001 and 2002. Uh, he was an all-conference player at Saddleback College before he finished his playing career at Cal. He graduated from Cal in 2005, but not before having Tommy John surgery in 2004. In 2005, his senior year, though, he finished up strong, had a 1.86 ERA as a senior at Cal. When he finished his playing career, jumped onto the jumped into the coaching ranks in the springs of 2006 and 7. He was the pitching coach at Willamette, where he's now the head coach. Um, in 2008, he spent one season as the pitching coach at South Dakota State, Division I school, obviously, in South Dakota. And then in September 2008, he was hired as the head coach at Willamette. He's going into his 13th season uh, in the spring of 21. We're, we're in the fall of 2020 right now, uh, still kind of in the uh, – in the period where COVID is affecting a lot of things, but it looks like Willamette is going to uh, proceed with everything as usual this fall. So, again, this will be his 13th year there. In 10 of his first 12 seasons at Willamette, the team has had a winning record. He's got 242 total wins as a head coach in college. In his time there, he's had three All-Americans, 11 All-Region players, 18 first-team All-Conference players, two Conference Players of the Year. Um, it is worth noting that during his time at Willamette, early in his head coaching career in 2009, he got his master's degree from South Dakota State. Uh, in 2018, one of our, a recent highlight for you, the team finished 31-19. and 19. That was tied for the school record in wins. The team won the conference tournament that year. They finished second in the regional tournament. They finished with a final uh, end-of-season ranking as the number 18-ranked team in all of Division III baseball. Uh, Coach Swick was named the West Region Coach of the Year in that 2018 season. So, Coach Swick, I really appreciate you spending some time with us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Well, I usually like to start with something that stands out from the bio to me. Um, it's pretty rare in my opinion to find someone who sticks with and spends so much time at one school. Um, a lot of coaches are, for one reason or another, jumping around a lot. I was that way, and, and for me it happened because uh, either I wanted more responsibility or needed to make some more money or whatever it was. You know, for you, you've been around a lot as, uh, you know, your summer collegiate coaching career has taken you a lot of different places, but as far as just your uh, your college coaching experience, you've spent, uh, of your 16th season, this will be your 16th season coaching, um, you've spent all but one season at Willamette. Uh, can you kind of talk about that a little bit, just the, the loyalty that you've shown there and, and staying in one place for that long, which not a lot of people do, uh, it seems like, in, in college sports? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I, I got my start in coaching because an assistant we had at Cal uh, became head coach at Willamette. So I was very lucky where I knew somebody that was in the college ranks already. Um, I knew once I was um, once I had surgery, I knew I wasn't going to be able to play professionally. I wanted to get into coaching, and so I uh, was fortunate to get that opportunity. And um, you know, everyone when they get into coaching, everyone has aspirations of different things. So goals sometimes, you know, jump right to it. Hey, I want to be the Division One assistant. I want to be a Division One head coach because you don't really know any better uh, based on my experience as a Division One player. I thought, you know, that's the place I wanted to be. Um, but after being at Willamette um, for a couple of years um, and then going away. You know, the time that I um, had here early on in my career, I was just very thankful. So, you know, lucky enough to be head coach at 26. I know that's not very very common these days. And, um, you know, when you get into it, you, you're trying to, to build something of your own. And uh, the first several years, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, you know, it was uh, kind of learning on the job. And, um, you know, then I, then I met my wife, and we started having children, and started becoming a green in the community. And over the course of time, you know, you just start getting a little bit better at your craft and finding the right people and hiring the right assistants and um, you know you get to a point where you feel like you've got some momentum and, and you're doing something great 
And so a combination of we've got great people in our program. I'm very fortunate that I've got great staff. Our players are great people. Um, Salem's a great community. It's very family-friendly. And um, just feel like this is the best place for me and my wife and our family. And just very fortunate that Wyoming is a great university with a rich athletic tradition and, and fantastic facilities. And, and there's no place I'd rather be at the moment. As a, especially as a former Division One player, and someone who you know had a brief experience as a Division One coach. I mean, you were, you played at Cal. I mean, of, of all places, it's not like you coached at or you played at a, a small little uh, little Division One like I did. Um, you were at Cal, and and most people, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of people who who are at that level have aspirations of being there. Obviously, you said this is a good fit for your for your wife, uh, for you, for your family right now. This is a good place for you to be at Willamette. Uh, but when you first started out, can you talk about? Um, just your your goals there. I'm assuming that you went from Willamette to South Dakota State to pursue that. Uh, did you have a, a point in there somewhere where you kind of realized that maybe the grass isn't always greener, maybe there, it is it is the best thing to stay at a place where, uh, I guess, a place like Willamette that's, that's got all the things that, that they've got to hire someone like you. Did you have a certain time in there where you sort of realized that this is, this is the right place for me? I, I don't want to be the one that's kind of pursuing uh, – that, that division one dream like a lot of coaches do? Well, I think you just, you know what you know, right? And so once I got hired as the head coach here and you start going out on the, on the recruiting trail and you start making friends that are other places, you see their paths, um, not that it's necessarily right or wrong, but you just start hearing about maybe some challenges that are other, other places, right? Some institutions might look the same, um, but once you get this kind of inner workings of, of um, you know, what their resources are, the support, maybe it's not the best setup. And so, um, just like I said earlier, blessed where Willamette's a great school academically, it's got a rich tradition. Athletically, it's got a rich tradition. My boss uh, lets me do my thing, and um, and the players really challenge us. You know, so when you're working with high academic students, you've got to be on top of your game. You can't just start giving them lingo that, that doesn't make sense. And so I think I really was um, drawn and attracted to the, the Division three model and, and the student-athlete balance. And, um, you know, working with, you know, young players who are, who are driven athletically to be as good as they can be. Like we've had players both historically and on the program now that want to play professionally, but they recognize that this is part of that equation. It's not the only thing. And so I just really like um, the balance that happens at the Division three level and the ability for our guys to you know, be well-rounded young men when they graduate and, and for me to play a small part of that the equation. Is it typical for Division three schools to be high academically? Um, is that is that something that you see kind of across the board at the Division three school? Yeah, I would say we are pretty much, uh, we are very geographically isolated. Most of the Division III uh, universities in the country are east of the Mississippi River, so it's basically in the West region. It's our conference, the conference in L.A., and then two conferences in Texas, and that's it. And so um, all of the schools that are in those four um, areas, I would say, are academic. Um, once you go east of the Mississippi, you have um, different levels based on different schools. So you have the SUNY system. And once again, I'm not familiar with um, all of the inner workings of those schools, so I'm not saying they're not good academics, but you have uh, the SUNY system, which is state schools. You have the Wisconsin system, which is state schools. You have a number of you know, high academic schools on the East Coast, like the NESCAC. Um, so I just like the on the West Coast at least, you know, the, the, the academic schools, the Division three schools are academic, and so I just like that um, uh, that balance that the players have. Let's talk about that level athletically a little bit because I know I, I think that Division three gets an unfair uh, people have an unfair view of what Division three athletics are about. I think that there's a, a general thought process that, well, if I can't play anywhere else, I can play at the Division three level, or that anybody that wants to play, regardless of your athletic ability, can find a spot on a Division three team somewhere. I think that the level of competition at Division three gets very much overlooked sometimes, um, for particularly, and I think this is the case for every level, when kids haven't seen that level they they either think that the level's not as good as it actually is, or they think uh, that that they're more talented. Maybe they can fit in with a higher level than they really can. And a lot of times, a guy, whether it's going to to watch to watch a, a team like Cal or going to watch, <clears throat> excuse me, Division three school like Willamette, um, 
I think sometimes players, high school players or, or younger, don't realize how good these levels actually are. Can we talk a little bit about that? Can you just kind of give us an idea as much as you can uh, in a podcast like this, just what the sure. talent level is uh, for your team, for your conference, like what you're seeing uh, from players to try to give people a little better idea of Division Three baseball? Yeah, good. Uh, um, I would say that when I first got hired, well, I was sort of finished coaching immediately. As a, sorry, when I finished playing and I started coaching, um, I was kind of struck by the difference in the level. And over the course of the last 15 years being around, that level, that, that talent gap has significantly shrinked, I would say. Um, you know, in the West region, we are blessed with um, a, a heavy population, right? California is, you know, one of every five people in the United States live in California. So we are just blessed where there's tons of, of great baseball players in the region. And just over time, um, the level of player that we are getting, the level of players in our conference, uh, you know, Division Three baseball as a whole, has gone significantly better. So if you're if you're familiar with the draft, um, you know there was a third rounder this year at a Division Three school. Uh, in our conference, we had a sixth rounder a couple of years ago, um, and so we in our conference we've had players drafted almost every year. Um, and so just you know, that just you know it goes to show that there's you know talented players, there's good programs that help develop. Um, you know, not necessarily, you know, baseball is a great sport where, you know, your size doesn't necessarily determine your, uh, your ability on the field, but it, it can be an indicator in terms of what coaches are looking for. Um, on our current roster for the, the coming year, you know, we'll have 15 guys on our team that are 6'2 or bigger, you know, so we are recruiting physical people that can do some things, that can drive the ball out of the yard, you know, that are mid to upper 80s on the mound. And so, yeah, just the funnel has just gone uh, much more selective and, uh, you know, really excited that the kids are coming back to school because we've got a ton of talented players and I, I look forward to working with them. Did you just say that you have high school recruits that are mid to upper 80s coming in? To, yes, sir, right. That, right. I think that would really strike most people as um, just shocking that that happens at your level. And I think that's good. I mean, it's good to educate people and let them see. Because I, the reason I want to even talk about this, Coach Swick, is because I, I hope that there are players listening to these podcasts and parents uh, who are in the recruiting process, maybe even before the recruiting process, that are just trying to learn. They, they want to hear some things from some actual coaches' mouths and just try to learn and, and be more educated. And, uh, you know, so often high school kids are, are you know, D1 or bust. Like they'd rather uh, they'd rather be one of 60 guys showing up to, uh, you know, fall practice at a Division One, hoping to be one of the final 35 than go somewhere where they're going to be valued and somewhere where they're going to get playing time and somewhere that they can develop. Um, but it's just I think it would really shock people to know that you have that sort of high school talent coming in. Can you talk a little bit about guys uh, that are actually on the team? And I think it's easier to talk about pitching because you could talk about size or velocity or whatever it is. Can you kind of talk about maybe your your top couple guys um, in your starting rotation, just what you know what that looks like on your team and what it may look like for other other some of the some of the better teams in your conference on a weekend? Like, what are you typically seeing, or what are you throwing out there? Yeah, I would say uh, for the coming year, um, you know, our, our best three guys in terms of ability, um, you know, our mid to upper 80s, um, they're 6'4", 6'2", and 6' tall. Uh, the third guy is a two-way guy that plays another position. Um, you know, what we do is a little bit different. We don't really determine roles before they get to campus. We use uh, kind of an objective point system that we've created to make those evaluations. But from physical ability, you know, not all those guys show up here like that. You know, so I think it's a combination of recruit kids that really like to work, right? They're baseball rats. They like to get after it. And, and uh, we've had a fairly successful pitching development program. So once you get to campus, there's there's some growth within that. Um, but I think, you know, all, all, there's staffs across the country at the Division three level that are, that are made up of different types of players. So, you know, we've got some guys that have some below. I don't think that's necessarily the – best indicator for success you know we, we want to be able to change speeds right disrupt timing um, throw secondary pitches and plus counts uh, but but the conference as a whole the pitching has gotten better I would say and, and the division three level as a whole has gotten better and so once again you know as the major league baseball fastball has improved right then the college fastball has improved and now the high school fastball has improved so just people need to make sure that they recognize that those numbers are increasing at all the levels. There's a trickle-down effect, and that means that there are certain things that college coaches are looking for in the recruiting process. When people, when kids graduate from your program, 
what's kind of if they if they ever have conversations with you just kind of uh, talk about their experience. What what do they talk about? I mean, what are some of the things that that guys that graduate from uh, Willamette? What are they getting from? Uh, the, talking about strictly strictly about the baseball side of things, and I, and again, I'm asking this just for. I, I think it's so important for a young baseball player to to understand what's most important when they're picking a school, right? There's there's a lot more to it than I think everybody. What everybody wants to pick is they, everybody wants to put the biggest name possible across their chest. Everybody wants to put the hashtag blessed, and they want people to recognize the name of the school that they're writing. But usually when guys graduate, that's that's obviously that's not even uh, on the radar as far as what was most important to, as, as to whether or not you enjoyed your, your experience. Now, what the guys that graduate from your program, or even maybe they come back a couple years later, you know, what are they reminiscing about? What are the most important things? Like, what are the experiences they're gaining from your program that are, that stick with them the most? Yeah, I think, you know, the most important piece in the recruiting process is to find the best fit, right? And that's a phrase that's been used a lot, I would say, in the last couple of years. I'm sure other coaches are using it. Um, you know, make sure you're looking for the, the school that meets all the criteria that you're looking for. And then I think it's important to, to ask challenging, educated questions of the coaches, right? Because the coaches and the players are going to be um, the people that you're going to be surrounded by, and, and they're going to be your support, and they're going to be uh, the people that challenge you. And so getting to know those people, I think, is the most important part. And so one of the things that, that um, I'm really blessed with is we just got outstanding young men in our program. They are baseball rats that are good students that make good choices, and um, they genuinely have a great time together. And so I think the thing that really sticks out amongst them is just that camaraderie. Uh, we really preach the sense of family and community in our program. Um, everything is very inclusive. Like, I do not believe in a hierarchical system where the seniors are in charge and the freshmen are doing what they say. Um, you know, we believe in a point system to evaluate the players, so it really kind of enhances the competition of the guys. And at the end of the day, I think, you know, I can't say it 100%, but I think almost all of them say, hey, I maximized my college experience. Um, we got a chance to compete and, and do something that I love and be around great people while I'm doing so. A couple of things that you mentioned I'd, I'd like to expand on a little bit. The first is uh, you mentioned a couple of times now the, the, cal- the, the kind of player that you want on your team. You like guys that are baseball rats, that are hard workers, and guys that are going to come in. And, and work to get better, who are also good academically, obviously, because of the academic standards there. When you're, when you're recruiting high school players, how do you find out how hard of workers these guys are? Because I, I've got to believe that every high school player thinks that he works hard. You know, typically this is this, the same at every level. A guy thinks he works hard until he gets to college and then really realizes there's another uh, level that he can take his work ethic up, but how do you how do you find out how hard a guy works in in, uh, in high school? Because I'm sure that a lot of high school coaches out there as well, they might think a guy works hard, or maybe maybe someone works hard because they're really good, and when they get to college, like things as they struggle, they might back off a little bit. Um, how do you just get to the bottom of of really what the character is of the player that you're about to recruit? Yeah, I think you do your homework, right? You, you call the coaches, um, you, you get some references, they, you ask them questions about, um, you know, what time do they show up? You know, what, what type of teammate are they? Um, you know, what are those intangibles that they're going to bring to your program? And, you know, you try and take it with a grain of salt. You know, for the most part, high school and, and club coaches are telling you positive things about the individuals. So, you know, we try and build relationships with the coaches and, and um, create a track record with maybe some travel teams or, or, or organizations that know kind of the caliber that we're looking for. We really try and recruit the person first, you know, and so once once we identify that they're a good student and that we like their ability based on any film or, or evaluations we've made, we try and, and dig in a little bit and say, is this person going to match the type of personalities that we have in our program? And then, you know, from time to time, uh, you know, like in a normal year when they come to visit, you know, it's, it's just as much um, our players evaluating the recruit as it is the recruit evaluating the school and the players. You know? and so we don't make offers to kids until you know I get the stamp of okay from the guys in the program. Like, hey, yeah, we, had, we hung out with Johnny, for example. Um, good guy. Um, fit in really well. Good conversation. Like, does that person mesh well with, with the group the next year? And I think that's an important piece is that you want to have um, 
you know, consistency in terms of the person that you're recruiting. And it's really paid off over the last, let's say, three or four years where we've got, you know, close to a 90% retention rate in our program. So, um, you know, very blessed that we've got good people that have created that foundation. Like the seniors that graduated for us in 2018, where we won the conference championship, that group really changed the culture of our program. And so, you know, from that particular year on, it's just stayed consistent with the people that are here and what those expectations are. And, um, you know, we've just been very fortunate that when the coaches give us those recommendations, they come to fruition once they get to campus and they just hit the ground running. What are some things that you can hear during the recruiting process that will cause you to stop recruiting a guy? You're asking these questions to try to get to the bottom of the character. You're trying to, you know, uh, talk to people that maybe you know. Sometimes I'm sure you have to talk to coaches that you don't have any familiarity with. But what are things that you hear that maybe even you have to dig for a little bit and ask some extra questions to kind of get to the bottom of this or that? But what are things you hear when recruiting a guy that will, will basically make you say, ah, this one's he's not for us? Well, you know, once again, if you if you have the right relationships um, and the high school coaches are honest with you, um, you know, they, they the language that they use is very filtered sometimes. So you just have to pick through some of the things that they say. Um, you know, if a kid really likes baseball but he doesn't love it, that's probably a separator for us. You know, uh, Division three model where, you know, we have less time with our players in the off season requires a kind of intrinsically motivated guy. So, you know, the, the difference between like and love um, is, a, is a significant uh, time difference in the off season, right, and how, is the, how that player develops um, and does that fit in with our culture. And so that's probably one of the pieces um, a secondary piece is, and there's nothing wrong with this, so I, you know, I, I don't want to discourage players from chasing their dream, but, you know, if a player is, is thinks they're going to play at Cal and they're really not, they're really more of a Division two or Division three type player and they're willing to chase that dream, you know, for us, we're probably going to maybe move on to somebody else because we want to identify players that are looking for this type of experience and think that this is the, the best uh, type of school or level of school that fits for them and then you know um, you know give them information and, and let them make an educated choice as opposed to trying to convince somebody that you know they're not a division one guy um, and that they're chasing that dream I think it just makes more sense for us on the time piece to you know, move in a different direction once we once we hear those things yeah on that end of things <clears throat> you want kids that are going to be committed from day one and not guys that are kind of like what if you know and, and maybe thinking sure. about transferring because I I'm sure that it will happen that, say, a guy wants to go to Cal but ends up going to a Division three because that's, you know, that's the school that pursued him the hardest and he has a great freshman year. I'm sure there are thoughts of, you know, should I transfer to a junior college and try to move up? And, uh, you know, obviously to, to run the best program you can, I'm sure you want to try to have guys for as long as you can in your program and not have that, you know, a lot of turnover. From year to year. Yeah, and I, I learned it's you know learned my experience. So the first few years as a head coach, I had you know a few of those guys that that, that ended up going that what you just talked about, and and you know just take some reflection. What what could we have done differently in the recruiting process? What could we have done differently when they got here um, in order to kind of adjust the person and the, and the system so that the guys stay here, right? And so um, we've got plenty of guys on our roster that were recruited by Division One schools or that were communicated with by division one schools and um, yeah to your point earlier it's hey you know most players are going to stop playing baseball at the end of college what do you want to say when you're done do you want to say that you were somebody that got a chance to be on the field and, and compete and, and you know maximize your, your your experience or you know to your, to your point earlier do you want to say hey, i was at this particular place and i recognized that name but i didn't play and i share my testimonial um, with with recruits in that sense where, you know, the last year uh, of college when I came back from surgery, I pitched eight innings in 56 games. So it was not, although I had a great experience and I wouldn't have traded it for the world, you know, it, it, in hindsight, maybe that was not the best route for me to go, right? Maybe going someplace where I got a chance to be on the field a little bit more, um, you know, would have, would have maybe had a more um, successful or, or comprehensive baseball experience. And so I just share, you know, my testimonial with the guys and say, what, what would you prefer? Would you would you want to be somebody that doesn't play very much uh, and until your senior year? Um, or would you prefer to be kind of a big fish in a little pond and get those opportunities and, and, and learn some things about you and learn some things from the game of baseball because of the success and the, and, the, and the trials that you're going through? And it's something I'm sure a lot of kids wrestle with, and <clears throat> I don't think this is a new experience I'm sure people always have, but... Um, you know, you can look back at your experience, and mine wasn't that dissimilar to yours outside of Tommy John. Uh, but, you know, do you go somewhere where 
do you try to pursue the highest possible level, even if you're going to be one of the lowest people on that on the roster on the depth charts, or do you go down a level or two? You know, I often think back. I went to a small division one, and uh, I often think back that like I, I mean, heck, I I probably could have been like a division three all American if I had gone gone that route, and probably could have been a pretty decent division two player. And instead, you know, the division one experience was it was what it was. Now it led to me having a good coaching career and kind of the same with you had you had you gone somewhere else you probably I mean if you wanted to coach you probably would end up in coaching somewhere but you might not be where you are so the obviously the experience at Cal worked out for you but as far as you know the actual experience when you're on campus you know I think about that a lot I what you know what the best experience would have been for me and and I you know kids that I am in contact with now as in a show as an associate scout and just having some some ties to people in the area I talk a lot about uh, you know what's most important for you, and if you if you're somebody who wants to be on the field, then you need to go somewhere. You know, whatever level, whatever school is pursuing you the most and is offering you the most, especially at levels that are offer that are offering scholarship. You know, the more scholarship they offer you, probably the more they expect you to play. Um, if somebody's asking you to walk on somewhere at a level that does offer scholarships, they're probably not expecting a lot from you. Um, you know, and then I think it helps to go watch the level of baseball that you're about to go to and just kind of get try to get a real idea of where you fit in on that field is that something you do with recruits do you do you uh do you try to encourage them to watch just say they're they're trying to pick between you and a different a school at a different level do you try to get them to come out and watch your team to say like i mean we're, we're really pretty good like if you come and watch us i think you're going to be impressed with the level of baseball that you see yeah, that, that's absolutely the case because, um, you know, our roster is made up of players that aren't from the Northwest for the most part. So we have kids from California, kids from Texas, kids from Colorado. The kids from Colorado, you know, there's only Division Two, Division One baseball and junior college there. They don't have any idea what Division Three looks like. So, yeah, there's just there's an education piece that you have to fill in. And that's totally fine. And, and they're, they're usually pleasantly surprised by what that looks like. Um and I, I agree with you. I think it's a it's a combination of can I can I put my ego aside and find the best place that's going to give me the opportunity to do what I want, which is go to college, have a great experience, you know, grow into an adult and a man, and, and have some experiences while also getting a chance to play the sport that I love. And um, I think people take for granted how much playing time affects your college experience. You know, so I think there's two trains of thought when it comes to the college search process, right? I've heard a lot of times, go someplace where if you were to get hurt or you decided that you didn't want to play anymore, you'd be happy at that school. And I think that there's some merit to that um, to that perspective. But I think the, the flip side of it, which I tell families all the time, is there's a direct correlation between how much you play and your enjoyment in your experience and how that carries over into your social life and the dynamic with your teammates and, and your friends and your ability to uh, be motivated for to go to class. And so there's, those things are all interconnected. And so if you choose a program where you're not uh, valued or there's not competition and you don't get a chance to play, you know, sometimes it, it, it creates a negative college experience, right? And so not that my guys have perfect experiences. I'm not pledging that by any means, but I think they feel satisfied that they get a chance to compete. They feel satisfied that, you know, we are successful in the field. They're successful individuals. And when they graduate, they can say, hey, I did everything I could to maximize my baseball experience. 100% agree with that. Um, I'm going to talk about something else you brought up a, a little bit ago and that you mentioned a couple of times that you guys use a point system to evaluate players. You don't necessarily have uh, – preset ideas of, okay, this guy's going to come in and be our shortstop. This guy's going to come in and probably be a back end of the bullpen type guy. Um, and that's what it sounds like. You got, you have a point system to evaluate your players once they're on campus and basically let them earn positions. Can you, do you mind talking about that a little bit? Just kind of sharing how you, how you run that? Sure. So I, I stole that from a, a gentleman by the name of Rock Murray, who was the head coach at Rockwell High School in Sacramento for a long time. We had a player on our team who was from that high school and uh, once he got to campus, uh, we just started having dialogue about, you know, what his experience was. And then the next summer, I was at a recruiting event down in San Diego. I'll, I'll never forget this. And um, I was in the dugout with the players. And a player from Rockland High School um, hit a line drive and, like, advanced the runners over. And he comes back to the dugout. I was like, hey, that was a three-point at bat. And I turned to him like, what are you talking about? And so I called Coach Murray the next day and I said, your, your, your player just said something really intriguing. Can you can you walk me through this? So I give all the credit to Coach Murray for, for creating the system. But basically, it's a way to 
um, evaluate run creation on, on the offensive side of things and to, to evaluate run prevention on the pitching side of things. So I think, you know, um, uh, baseball is a, is a terrible sport, right, where, where the historical statistics like batting average and ERA don't necessarily tell you um, if that player gives you the best chance to create runs, right? So if you believe in the money ball uh, philosophy that the goal, the goal is to score more runs than your opponent, and that's what wins games, this system has, has allowed us to determine what that looks like from an objective standpoint. So we, on the offensive side of things, we never keep track of hits. We, have, we only keep track of um, you know seven different categories, which we, uh, which Coach Murray, and then our, our, through our trial and error, have determined um, gives us the best chance to create runs. And so, um, you know, we keep track of offensively things like um, getting three pitches after two strikes. So, for example, you know, at the Division three level, most of most of college baseball, the goal is to get to the bullpen as quickly as you can. Right, the best pitchers are the starters. So, if you can make the starter work and you can foul pitches off. Um, and make that person, um, you know, throw more pitches. If every guy did that over the course of the game, the, the, the starter comes out of the game faster, and the player that's um, hitting should get credit for doing that. So the first category we keep track of is if you get three pitches after two strikes. Um, and then other categories within the seven things that we keep track of on the offensive side are um, reaching base in any particular way. So that can reach on air, obviously getting a base hit. Um, hitting the ball hard, so to speak, consistent quality contact, um, you know, execution of base runners if they're on, being a good base runner, scoring runs. Anyways, those seven categories, we figured out the more points that we that we create um, per game equals more runs. And so I have an Excel sheet that basically says if we reach this point value in a particular game, we're likely to score you know seven to, to nine runs in that particular game. And so it just allows me over the course of the game to have a better feel for what's going on and, hey, are we in this game or not? And then it gives the players um, a sense in the evaluation process. They're being equitably uh, evaluated so that they know exactly where they stand. And we make it transparent. So I, we, we keep a sheet or a chart every single time there's a scrimmage, and then we put that sheet in the clubhouse for everybody to see. And, and when it comes time for me to pick or write a lineup card when it comes to, hey, who's the best guy at, at third base, for example, the offensive production is the is the majority of that decision, right? And so obviously, on, when it comes to line, they, they have to be able to play defense. So we, we of course, are, are, are teaching those things, evaluating that accordingly. But um, you know, to Billy Bean's point, Scott Hatterberg did not have to be good at first base in order to play there, right? You just have to score more runs than your opponent. Um, so we do something similar on the pitching side, which I think also helps for the players because I think coaches get enamored by. Um, you know, velocity, they get enamored by spin rate, they get enamored by ERA or things that don't necessarily mean the pitcher is being very successful. And so we've done something similar on the pitching side, which kind of uh, creates a level playing field for those guys. And the same thing applies. When we pitch at a certain level, we're likely to give up these amount of runs. And so you just want to be on the plus side of that equation every day. And over the last uh, seven or eight years we've been doing it, you know, we've had a significantly more success as a program, um, you know, because of the, the, the system, the, the, the buy-in from the players, and what it really does is that it allows there to be cohesion amongst the team. And so early on in my career, I was was really bad at having a system of evaluation and really bad at communicating with guys about their roles, and guys didn't appreciate or, or didn't understand or didn't like that position. And so, you know, they didn't, they didn't like playing for me or in our program. Um, but now, you know, when a guy is not in the lineup, it's plain and simple. Hey, I didn't play well enough, or a person played better than me. And I recognize that, and I'm just going to continue to work at it. And um, and they're, they're satisfied with, even though they're not playing, they're still pulling for the guys that are on that are, they're on the field and playing. And, and uh, once again, it's been a huge part of our success. And, and I give all the credit to Coach Murray and, and all his experience and background of doing it and creating it. This is like I've never heard of anything like this. This is awesome. I. Uh, so so I'll just let's talk about the offensive side for a minute. Well, pitching too, I guess, but are, you have you have different point values so that that one player said it was a three point at bat. So is that because three different things happened or is that because there's more value like you place more value on things like extra base hits or, or whatever it may be than a, than a single for example. Um and then are there also negative values uh, are you are you only keeping track of positives and whoever has the most positives has a better score are you also keeping track of uh negatives like a, a strikeout is is uh 
uh, is more useless or, or a bigger negative than a fly out or something along that line. Uh, do, you, do you have uh, different point values? Like, are there are there one, two, three, four point uh, at bats or, or, or results um, or or whatever an offensive player can do? And are there are there negatives as well? So we don't keep track of negatives. I think there's enough negativity in the game. So if somebody was to you know like strike out on three pitches, that would just be a zero point at bat. Um, but yes, the, there are different values, and they get credit for the the entirety of their their time on offense. So if they were to um, if they were to um, foul pitches off and reach base, and then maybe steal second and then score, they get credit for all of those components. Um, so you can have you can have a multiple point at that based on all the things that happen while you're still on offense, um, and we credit things differently based on. Um, no outs or two outs. So a two out RBI is two points compared to a, a zero or one out RBI is only one point because you know the, the game is um, is valued in two out RBIs, right? So there's just different values based on maybe the, the situation that we're in, um, and so guys can get um, you know multiple points in one particular batch. Um, I've, I've seen as high as like 15 or 16 points in one of that where somebody fouled off a bunch of pitches and they hit like a two two out grand slam. Um, you know, where they have all those RBIs at two outs and then they themselves scored. So it's a pretty fun experience. Uh, the players really enjoy it. Um, it. It gives the pitchers, you know, the, the charters something to be involved with. And, um, and once again, it just really objectifies, um, you know, the, the player evaluation. And then it really helps to simplify a lot of those conversations in terms of what people's roles are going to be. So then at the end of the fall, when you're, got, when you're kind of figuring out what the spring is going to look like, are you going by – like total points, are you going by uh, basically the points per at bat on average? Uh, how do you sort of a, bat, a you know quote unquote batting average? Um, how are you how are you determining based on the point system throughout the fall? Like what happens in the spring? Yeah, so it's points per at bat for the hitters, and it's points per batter based on the pitching side of things. What we try and do is just equitably. Um, give those guys opportunities. So when we're scrimmaging or inner squatting, we just run through the, the lineup straight through, and so everyone gets the same number of bats, uh, same number of outings. Um, it's it's obviously predicated on the people around you, right? So you scoring runs, you need some help behind you, and to get RBIs and to advance runners, you need, need guys in front of you. But my feeling is that that, that kind of evens itself out over the course of a 35, 40, 45 at bat fall. Um, and so yeah, the the information at the end of the fall helps to determine where somebody would fit on that particular day. And so we give, obviously, the players an understanding of what their role would be um, as fall practice finishes, and then we use our winter training in the, in the couple of weeks of scrimmaging when we come back to add to that equation so it gives the player a window of time to improve their skill set, uh, especially in the things that we've identified as things they should get better at. And then, um, you know, it gives them an opportunity to, to get better and maybe change their role over the course of those two months. This is so interesting. On the pitching side of things, um, what things are what are what what can a pitcher score points by doing on the pitching side? Yeah, so it's ten ten categories on the pitching side. Um, first pitch strike, you know, a batter is half as likely to reach base if they you know if they start a one. Um, secondary pitches for strikes, so any any off speed pitches for strikes. Um, other things include like fielding your position. Um, no free base inning. Um, we we want to attack guys in four pitches or less. Like every time they, they, they accomplish that, uh, they get a point. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, limiting damage. So if there's stranded runners or a one-two training. So there's ten different categories, and um, it really helps. I would say it's it's more noticeable on the pitching side because you know you could be you could be pitching, give up three lineouts, right, and they're all caught. And you go back to the dugout and you think you had a good inning, but if you're watching the game, it's like, man, that guy just got tattooed. Uh, and so it's helped to really, to really um, make sure the guys are understanding that you know c competing in the strike zone is is prominent, and making sure that they they practice the secondary stuff and, and you know can disrupt timing. And you can do so if you're 80 miles an hour or you're 90 miles an hour. The, the velocity is not part of the equation, right? You can be a quality pitcher um, in both of those spectrums. So we've had. You know, Jamie Moyer on our staff. You know, we've had somebody that's had a lot of success being, you know, 78 to 82 left-handed to a secondary pitch. It's just, you know, 
um, you know, spins the ball a little bit. We've had guys that had success that are 88 to 92. So it, it eliminates velocity as the equation for who's going to give you the best chance to, to prevent runs. I really, really like this. <laughs> um, do you, uh, does this stuff, does it change from year to year or when you get a new assistant in or, or from time to time, do you, do you as a staff, do you sort of reevaluate what you feel like is more valuable than other things as far as which ones, you know, which of these things are going to get, is going to be worth one point, which is going to be worth two, which might be worth three. Do you, do you evaluate that from time to time uh, sort of as your philosophy, maybe as even as the game changes a little bit? Yeah, I mean, we're always always self-assessing what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, getting feedback from the players, I think, is really important. Um, you know, talking with other coaches, you know, my coaching friends about things that they're doing in their programs. Um, we've had some tinkering to the, the charts specifically. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's inconsistent. I think that the work that Coach Murray did before he gave it to me and then the things that we've done over um, eight years of using it, the, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak, where you just focus on the process, right, and focus on the things that you can control and, uh, you know, objectively evaluate those things. And at the end of the day, it doesn't guarantee a victory. But uh, when we when we accomplish both our goals, so our, our pitching goal and our hitting goal in the same game, our winning percentage is 970. So it really takes a lot of my decision-making out of the equation, just, hey, objectively, throw strikes, you know, command the strike zone, um, don't, you know, don't create big innings by, by compounding things and offensively hit the ball hard and make the pitcher work. When you do both those things in the same game, you're, you're, you should win, right? It doesn't guarantee you win, but you should win. So it really helps for the players to buy in, like, hey, this is our formula for success and, and just go out and, and execute those opportunities when you get them. I, just, I think that's really cool. I've never heard of anything like that. I think that's great. Um, I know that players – I know that a lot of coaches use a quality of bad average. That's only for hitters, obviously, but they do the same thing to try to be more objective and to show players this is why so-and-so is playing and this is why you're not. You know, his quality of bad average is this and that, but there's some there's a lot of subjectivity in the quality of bad average, and, and your system seems to even take that out of the equation, which is, I just, I think it's really, really cool. Um, yeah, I remember, I remember being at the ABCA the first couple of years I was a head coach and hearing about, you know, the quality of bad system, so we, we had used that before, and I think it's a great system, um, but at the end of the day, it's all based on what's important to you. Um, so, you know, how you define quality bats is, is uh, helps to create that subjectivity like you talked about. So the point system really um, allows the guys that are good base runners that anticipate the, uh, the ball's dirt and, and can, can be a pass offensively and foul pitches off. It, it, it rewards those guys who really don't necessarily get um, in, a, in a regular quality of bat chart or if you're like exit velocity or extra base hits, those guys don't necessarily get rewarded in the same way. And so it helps to kind of level the playing field for those guys. Who keeps track of this stuff for you, Coach? Uh, well, we teach the pitchers who are obviously charting. We teach those guys how, you know, the system that we use and, and how to do it. And then um, I'm keeping charts throughout games and scrimmages, and so I always go back and kind of double-check, you know, what's what's being input just to make sure that there's, there's consistency there. Uh, and then I do all the data input. So I have an Excel sheet that we've used, you know, during this time, and I put in the numbers, and then I print it off. And, you know, from time to time, um, you know, there's discrepancies or, or guys have questions. And, um, uh, you know, I, I mess up, of course, you know, all the time. And so it just allows the, the players every week when they come to the field, hey, where, where do I fit? You know, how did, how did my weekend go? What were some things I got to get better at? And then, you know, how do we create a development plan that helps those guys improve over the course of those days? Really, really cool. Um, I want to kind of jump to something else that uh, that you, you touched on briefly earlier, but I think is important to get into is just uh, the facilities that you have. I, I think another maybe misnomer about Division Three is that you're basically going to be playing on a high school field. I know that um, – that you guys in two, in 2019, you guys you at, at Willamette had installed a, a turf mound, turf plate, turf baselines, bullpens. Um, you previously uh, you've updated your clubhouse, so I think you know people might not realize that Division Three's not all programs, but some have a clubhouse. You have a, a covered batting facility with batting cages. Uh, I, I believe I read that you have a strength and conditioning room for your baseball team. 
Um, can you just talk about the facilities a little bit? Because I think that will shock a lot of people too, is just as far as, as getting a, a more well-rounded picture of what Division Three baseball is actually like. Yeah, I would say, you know, to each their own, right? So each school, um, you know, has their own set of facilities. Our conference as a whole, um, you know, in my 15 years here, all, almost all of the programs have updated in some capacity. There's artificial services throughout the conference. Um, we are just very blessed where um, a long time ago, um, a guy by the name of Bill Trendbeth, who was the baseball coach here for a long time and the athletic director, um, you know, did a bunch of fundraising and built a, a 1,500-seat stadium that sits, sits above the field. And so uh, it's a beautiful landscape. Our facility is off campus in, in the middle of a park, in the city park. And so there's just trees all around the park. Um, like I said, the stadium is raised, so it's just a great avenue for the for the fans. Um, we do have a clubhouse that's right behind the dugout. It's literally like you could be in your locker um, and then step through the door and you're right in the dugout. So we're one of a few schools that have access you know, directly to the clubhouse. And that's kind of our second home, right? The place spent a lot of time there. We've got, you know, TVs and Wi-Fi. And, and um, you know, when you talk about building that sense of family and community, it's because they spent a lot of time together. And we're just very lucky that we have a facility to do so. Um, you know, our, our cages are covered with lights, so it allows the players to kind of hit anytime they want to. Uh, so kind of build off my point earlier where, you know, culturally you want guys that, you know, want to get after it and, and work on their own. And then, yeah, on the visiting side or on the first base side, uh, we've created kind of a strength and conditioning room or, or a pitcher's recovery room, we call it. And so, um, you know, what, what came from my Tommy John experience has turned into a, a pretty extensive, you know, pitcher's recovery program with, uh, so that room is equipped with, you know, training tables and, and free weights and medicine balls and, and bands and pulley machines, which really allow the pitchers to kind of maximize their recovery um, on site. Uh, and we do the workouts as soon as they're done throwing. So once again, very blessed with the things at the baseball facility. And then Willamette as a campus has uh, two turf um, athletic field soccer and, and football. We've got an indoor field house that we throw uh, bullpens and have indoor cages in. And we have a fairly renovated 10,000 square foot uh, fitness center. So when it comes to facilities, we feel very lucky. Our, our guys really maximize their development and uh, enjoy the time that they're in those places because of how great they are. And I think, again, that's something that will surprise people listening to this. And there are Division three programs out there that either play at a community field. I mean, there, the heck, there, there are schools at several levels that play at community fields, um, not just Division three, but there are some Division three programs that basically that do play at what would be more uh, standard high school fields. But there are Division three facilities out there that – that offer a lot and I know that we're in the age now where kids they want gear and they want to be somewhere where the facilities are good but you can't roll out a school based on the level and just say well they, they mustn't have good facilities because they're division three there are a lot of good division three programs that have a lot of really good facilities there's one near me actually uh you know there's a there's a division three not far from me that that does play at, at basically the, the at a field where the playing surface is nice but there's not there aren't the hitting facilities. There's not a clubhouse. There's not any of that stuff. The you know the playing surface is good, but that's about all they've got. There's another one that's about 45 minutes from me that has a beautiful stadium and it's a, it's a community field, but it's turf. Uh, the college gets full access to it during the whole season, um, and, and it probably seats about a thousand people. It's it's great. They use it. They started using it this year uh, for a summer collegiate league. It's it's a it's a great place. It's a Division three program around here, so it really just depends. Uh, program to program but you guys have a great setup there um are kids surprised when they come on campus and see everything that willamette has to offer like as you know especially someone you recruit from out of the area when you actually get them on campus are, are they surprised by all the amenities yeah i would say shocked is probably a better word <laughs> it's just not you know we send pictures or videos to kind of give them an idea of what it looks like but until you actually step on campus um I mean, we have a beautiful campus. We, we are downtown Salem, but, you know, the middle of our campus, there's a, there's a river that goes through campus. There's trees everywhere. There's there's birds and wildlife. So you, you never feel like you're in the middle of a major city while at the same time just having just picturesque buildings and, and um, the space and then the facility, I think, is a is certainly a wow factor. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I don't want to say that we are the best, but, you know, among, I've seen lots of different college baseball facilities, you know, throughout the region or, or at various levels. I just feel very blessed that, you know, we, we have what we have and the players really enjoy the time that they're there. And they, they don't ever sacrifice their development because of the space that, that we have or, or any of the restrictions um, that it presents us.
very, very cool. Coach Slick, what does – as one last question for you, what do you think – what does the future look like <clears throat> for you and for Willamette baseball? Um, if you had to, you know, look out five, ten years from now, what, what do you think the future is? What are some goals that you've got for the future of that program uh, and for yourself going forward? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, the first thing is, is just to continue to, um, you know, provide an environment that allows our players to maximize their experience and then, um, you know, produces quality young men. You know, the goal, obviously, of, of playing college baseball is to do the sport that you love, be able to be my profession, or my goal here is just to is help, you know, help those guys transition from, from young man to manhood into, into their adult life. So, you know, my goal is just to continue to, um, you know, provide a, a quality environment where those guys get to do so. Um, in terms of stuff that's on the field, um, you know, 2018 was a great year. We actually lost in the regional final to the team that lost in the national championship game. So, you know, we, um, as a program, have, have gotten fairly close to uh, being on the national scale. I don't think we're there yet, but I think that's the, the, the next step is to, you know, win a conference championship, um, play in a regional, and present ourselves as, as a formidable program at the national level. And then, you know, once you get to that point, sustaining that is obviously the challenging piece. So, you know, we've been very successful in terms of wins and losses. Um, you know, we played it back-to-back. Uh, conference tournament games or conference tournament championship games, um, but you know to get to the next level, you know you have to you know, create a special group, and so that's the thing that I'm just most excited about. Um, you know we have we didn't lose too many guys to graduation. We have a very talented recruit class coming in. You know we've been working hard for the 21 class and have some quality commits so far, and so just I think the future is we can get to all those things. I think we can win a conference title. We can we can get to the national scale. Um, while also at the same time just producing, you know, 100% graduation rate and producing quality people, you know, off the field. Uh, that's the goal to do both those things simultaneously. If you had to put your finger on a couple of things, and you probably have, you seem like someone that does a good bit of self-evaluating and, and kind of evaluating the team and and uh, and personnel. If there are a couple things that you could point to, and and you could say, if we, if over the next five years, we become better and more consistent that this or this or this I think will be there. Are there a couple things that you have sort of pinpointed in your program that you'd like um, to really focus on that you think can get you to where you want to be? Yeah, I think in terms of the self-assessment, you just want to make sure that as you're going through the recruiting process, you're maximizing what you feel like those player ceilings are, right? And so, you know, my assistant coach, Mikey Nance, and my other assistant, uh, Connor Bailey, do fantastic jobs of having dialogue with the players, getting some feedback from them. And let's make sure we incorporate drills and, and put them in situations to have success. So I think that the biggest thing from the COVID piece was just, you know, all of the, the professional development that has happened in our industry and, and the sharing of information. And so just uh, feel very lucky that now we can apply it um, to our program. But that stuff has to be things that the players understand and that, that, that benefits them. Um, ultimately, the game comes down to, to pitching a defense, and so um, we've been a program rich in offensive history where we're, we're very offensive and we can do things there. To get to the next level, you know, we have to pitch better and, and we have to play defense at a, at a high level. And so, um, you know, if we can combine that with what we will do offensively, I believe, over the next few years, I think we can get there. This has been great. This is Aaron Swick, everybody. He's the head coach at Willamette University, a Division three school in Salem, Oregon. Coach Swick, this has been great, man. It's been a great uh, pleasure to talk to you. We didn't really, we didn't know each other at all before this call today, but got to spend a good bit of time before we started recording and then uh, and during this, and, and it's been great. I really appreciate it, and I think we people that are listening to this learned a lot about the level uh, itself, Division three, and, and some great things that you can offer at that level, and just a lot about uh, you and the university there. So I appreciate uh, your time that you spent with us today and everything you shared with us. Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share things about uh, you know, Willamette, our program, and the things we do here.